Good morning, Elam Chapel. I'm so happy to be with you all this morning, although it's virtually. Um, I'm looking forward to what God's going to say to us in his word and just the encouragement I hope that we will all receive from it. Um, I want you to know that I've been praying for all of you, everyone who's going to be watching, that we would uh, just really receive this message. And um, although it might be, it seemed like a challenge, it's an encouragement and, and a blessing, I think, to know that we have something to do. Um, I'm just going to begin by praying. I've been praying for all of you this week, um, but let's just pray before we get started. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for this opportunity to learn, to be together um, in community, even if it's through the computer, that we would know that we are all um, being spoken to by you and that you have a message for us. Help us to have ears to hear and eyes to see um, what you have in front of us to do. And bless this time we pray in your name. Amen. Okay, my sermon title is called Get to Work. Um, it didn't start there at all, um, but that's where it went, and uh, I feel that's the message for this morning. I'm going to begin with the passage of the talents, the parable of the talents, rather, from Matthew 25. So I'm just going to read through uh, verses 14 to 29. If you can follow along with me, that's great. Again, it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted his property to them. To one he gave five talents of money, to another two talents and to another one talent, each according to his ability. I highlighted that part. Then he went on his journey. The man who had received the five talents went at once and put his money to work and gained five more. So also the one with the two talents gained two more. But the man who had received the one talent went off, dug a hole in the ground and hid his master's money. After a long time, the master of those servants returned and settled accounts with them. The man who had received the five talents brought the other five. Master, he said, you entrusted me with five talents. See, I have gained five more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. The man with the two talents also came. Master, he said, you entrusted me with two talents. See, I have gained two more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. Then the man who had received the one talent came. Master, he said, I knew that you are a hard man, harvesting where you have not sown and gathering where you have not scattered seed. So I was afraid and went out and hid your talent in the ground. See, here is what belongs to you. His master replied, you wicked, lazy servant. So you knew that I harvest where I have not sown and gather where I have not scattered seed? Well, then you should have put my money on deposit with the bankers so that when I returned, I would have received it back with interest. Take the talent from him and give it to the one who has the ten talents. For everyone who has will be given more and he will have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even what he has will be taken from him. And throw that worthless servant outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And that was verse 13. Okay. So... My original title for this sermon was The Father's Love. Um, that's nice and that's um, comforting and safe and beautiful and always important to know that God loves us so much um, and how powerful that is and how that shapes how we view ourselves, how we view God and how we view each other, which will then impact how we treat each other, how we um, approach everything in life. 
but the message shifted a little bit. So um, I'll just explain how that happened. In preparation for this sermon, I knew that I wanted to have some stories to reference. When you sit in church or when I sit in church ready to learn and receive a message from God, there are also times, perhaps especially as a teacher, that you are analyzing the presentation being given, not with the intent to critique, but always to learn. There is a desire to see what captures a group of people, how to resonate with a crowd and how to make an idea connect. And perhaps at times at other churches, you're given examples of what to avoid. So the title of today's sermon was The Father's Love. And then it became the problem of pride, and then it transformed to get to work. When presented with this opportunity to speak to you, I thought my topic might be on the Father's love. You can't go wrong when you focus on the love of God for his people. It's refreshing, encouraging, constant, and always amazing. I even thought I had a real-life anecdote that I could throw in to portray how our Heavenly Father treats us when we fall. But after more prayer and seeking, my message has changed focus to that of get to work. So, although the similarities may not be obvious, the connection should be by the end. Okay, um, we've all been living through this pandemic situation. So, I think that it's such a time of uh, drastic change and difference from our normal lives that there's so much to learn in these situations. What I want to begin with about the work aspect is what God has given us the ability to do is to be done so that others might seek him and know him. While trying to be a constant student or the more popular lifelong learner, some lessons I learned through the pandemic include these little alternate responses to people and experiences. So just little quips that um, I think for me were really important to just make that, that change. Instead of reacting one way to consider this is how we're supposed to be. Um, in one number one, instead of giving criticism, which is so easy to do. You sort of see everyone's shortcomings during this time, how they respond to stress, how they perform their job in different situations. Instead of giving criticism, offer encouragement. Instead of reacting with panic, offer, or pardon me, respond with prayer. Instead of complaining of fatigue, experience true rest. Instead of constantly striving, learn the discipline of yielding to God's plan. And instead of burning others, light the way. We are called to be um, light in our world. And light is beautiful. Being burned, not so good. So I think that's a really, really important distinction between those two things and what our job really is. So the first thing I want to talk about is why should I get to work? So the why, why should I? Um, it's not because I say so, that's for sure. Um, I'm going to go to Proverbs 27, verse 1. Do not boast about tomorrow, for you do not know what a day may bring forth. If there's anything we've learned through this pandemic for the last four months, is that you don't know what's going to happen tomorrow, and things can drastically change very quickly, um, whether it be your circumstances or, or your plans or whatever it is. You don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. Um, and I think that was a really powerful uh lesson to be learned. If there's one obvious lesson we should have all grasped is that we can't, uh, your plans for tomorrow mean absolutely nothing. Today is your chance. Tomorrow may not be an option. So if there's something you can do today that is worthwhile, then thank the Lord he gave you the opportunity and brought you on board. Get to work. What you were meant to do, do. 
I'm thinking back to um, Paul and Barnabas. So why in the world couldn't Paul and Barnabas agree about Mark, Mark accompanying them? So when they were going on their mission trips, why couldn't they all get together? They're Christians. They love God. You should get along. They're both followers of Christ and wanted to spread the word of salvation. So why couldn't they all work together? Perhaps it is so that we could have examples that we could understand and relate to. Perhaps it is so that we could have a counterexamples of how the ministry at Elam specifically should function. Or perhaps it is because by breaking apart their bonds, they were able to reach even more people for Christ by going in different directions. Because God's ways are not our ways and his plans are not our plans, things won't always seem the way that we think it should make sense. It might be a different um, means to the to the goal that we thought we had in mind. And what is the goal? Is it that we all become good friends, living in a comfortable and easy life? It might not be. It might be so that the word of God is spread all over and that more people are exposed to the love of God and the message of salvation through Christ. So if you don't get along with your Sunday school teaching partner, my first suggestion would be get it together. The right suggestion would be to pray about it. And the third possibility is that maybe there is someone else with whom you could work so that the message of God would go even further. So why should we get to work? Because there is a person you should pray for. There is someone that needs to be encouraged. There is a stand you should take. Or there is a time of prayer and quiet that your soul needs. Get on it. Today's the day. Secondly, what kind of work should I do? What am I supposed to do? So, um, during the pandemic, I ran quite a bit. There weren't a lot of options for exercise um, that I found, and so running was a good one. I had ordered a new MP3 player because I'm one of the only people in the world without an iPhone. I looked online for an MP3 player that was inexpensive, but had a brand name that was available in real stores. I compared prices, I read the reviews. One such review mentioned how the shuffle option often played only a small selection of the entire music library. I figured I can live with a flaw like that. And then I clicked add to the cart. Well, my entire song library is only about 250 songs, so it's not very many. Um, and during this time, I felt I really needed to get outside and run some of my frustrations and anxieties out. There were days when all of the tasks on my plate were as fun or easier as uh, I'd hoped. Sometimes it was hard. I had a lot on my plate. I was still teaching. I was trying to be a teacher to my children. I was trying to be a mother to my children. I was trying to take care of the home. It felt busy um, and it was challenging. So sometimes there were tears and a lot of time there was anger and frustration at the impossibility of adequacy in the completion of my tasks and the faraway idea of perfection kept moving further and further. I thought about the idea of somehow quitting the whole situation. But thankfully, I've heard enough times in my life that if he brings you to it, he'll bring you through it. And God was with me. I should have been seeking him more in this time, but I had a plethora of excuses to use and I used them. I literally tried to run away from my problems and my deal of an mp3 player kept me company. So what's the point of that shuffle story? Well, while I was running away from my problems, one of the songs that kept playing was Stevie Wonder's Higher Ground, and the line that spoke to me was, teachers keep on teaching. And it went straight to my heart. It told me that I need to keep doing the thing I'm made to do. Don't quit. God is with you. He gave you something to do, so go do it. 
And if God can speak through a donkey, and if God can speak through a burning bush, then he can send a message through an mp3 player that doesn't evenly play all of the, sh all of the songs during the shuffle setting. So when it's hard, what do we do? During this pandemic, we have all faced challenges. We have adjusted because we had to. Some of us don't like change, but there was no avoiding it. Some of us were overwhelmed by the tasks and requirements asked of us. Others felt alone and scared. Others struggled, struggled financially, physically, emotionally, and spiritually. But this was a time to learn. If we are able, or should I say decide, to come up for air long enough to listen, then there will be a message just for us. I sincerely believe that God has made me to be a teacher. I talk. I like to talk. I like people. I like explaining things. I don't mind being the one to take the lead on a task. I'm happy to share ideas and seek out the best solution. If this is used properly, it comes out nicely as a leadership quality. But if I'm not careful, leadership qualities can turn into bossiness. The talents I've been given are to be used to encourage, influence, and lead. But if I use them for myself, they can be damaging to the people around me and the relationships I have with them. The talents we, that we, are, uh, we have are designed to be used for God's purposes, not our own. There are people around me in my life who are filled with calm and patience and peace. I need them to counteract my tendencies away from these things. I learn from them. I value them. And they point me to God. Those who are humble and quiet and gentle amaze me, and I see qualities of Christ in them. God made them with these qualities that can be used to honor him. Because all of us are sinful from birth, I know that even these people who have qualities that often elude me and which I so admire are not perfect. We are all called to live in a way that we can better reflect the character and qualities of Christ as we let him lead us and shape us. On earth, we will never all be the same in our possession and demonstration of these qualities, but Galatians 5.22 gives us the short list for how to check ourselves. Next, what if I'm not any good at it? I will begin with the opposite problem. What if you're very good at it? What if the talents that you have are exceptional? The problem of pride is that it ruins everything. When we think we can work hard to succeed and then work even harder to get noticed, and come to the severely flawed conclusion that our own hard work was what allowed us to enjoy success in the first place, we are in a dangerous position. When we begin to think that we somehow deserve any recognition or acknowledgement, we are mistaken and have badly fooled ourselves. As we start to do this, we allow the tendency to criticize others to creep in. We judge because we think, if I could do it, why couldn't they? If only they worked hard like me, then they would be successful. But this is not the way the setup works. In order to learn to be helpful, we need people around us that need help. If I read a lot of books about how to shoot three-pointers for basketball, I will have some understanding about it. I will know that you should shoot with an arc to get the ball over the rim of the hoop. I will know where the three-point line is. I know I'll know that I need a ball. But if I do not go out and shoot over and over, there's very little possibly no chance, that I will consistently make three-point shots while playing basketball. And if I only practice on my own and never practice with a defender challenging me, then I can't fairly say to a team that I could contribute as a distance shooter during games. Because shooting when your shot is contested is quite different than shooting on your own home court with no one around and no one in your face challenging your actions. 
So when we have people around us that need our help, and when what is easy for us is not easy for them, and when we need to give it and it is not always acknowledged or even gratefully received, God is giving us an opportunity to grow and learn. During these times, we have the opportunity to get better at trusting Him, at walking in humility and doing what we ought to do, instead of worrying about what we think others ought to do. Sometimes the most constructive lessons we receive come not from perfect examples, but sometimes from bad examples that powerfully show us what not to do. Sometimes to see the flaws in our own lives, we need to see them displayed in others to realize how damaging they can be. There are a few characters in our Holy Bible who have much more than just their best days recorded. And what for? For us to learn from. It is not only to learn that all humans are flawed and perfection is unattainable. It is not just that highs and lows and challenges and blessings happen to us all, albeit in different allotments and forms. It is for us to learn the glorious character of God who loves these people, redeems them over and over, and longs to have relationship with these flawed and fault-filled people. The final point for today is what if I'm too busy? Well, then we need to cut out what is not necessary. Cut out the distractions. I'm going to go back to Proverbs here, um, 12 verse 11. He who works his land has abundant food, but he who chases fantasies lacks judgment. And Proverbs 4 verses 25 to 27. Let your eyes look straight ahead. Fix your gaze directly before you. Make level paths for your feet and take only ways that are firm. Do not swerve to the right or the left. Keep your foot from evil. Last week's message about Mary and Martha was so effective because I am also a person who can make busy work and then complain or feel stressed because I'm busy. It's ridiculous. I know that I have a tendency toward Martha's habit of getting the things done that actually need to be done, or at least those tasks that seem most important at the time. I know for sure that if I cut out the unnecessary activities of the day or week, that I would have more than enough time for what is actually of value. So if the trouble is that doing certain things is getting in the way of the important things, what should I do? The answer is, don't do that. We live in a one and a half story home and the girls' rooms are upstairs. Uh, one evening I heard a thump from above. I ran upstairs to find my poor sweet girl on the floor beside her bed, but still sound asleep. I had two options. One, I could wake her up and again remind her of the logic of sleeping in the center of her bed and lying still and not falling out of her bed because that was uncomfortable and could even be dangerous. Or I could gently scoop up my little bundle of cuteness and gently place her back into her bed and tuck her in without trying to wake her at all. I chose the second, though sometimes I know I behave like the parent, the wife, the sister, the friend in the first scenario. I noticed in my observation of preachers that good preachers have good stories, and I thought, oh good, here's mine. An experience with a theological application. Even when we fall, God will scoop us up and put us back to where we are supposed to be because he loves us. We fall, and instead of lecturing us on the lessons we already know, he understands our humanity and gently places us back so that we can continue to do what we need to do. I wasn't at all mad at my child for falling. I wish she hadn't and hoped she wouldn't again, but I also understood that it could happen again, and hopefully it would happen less frequently. I did not have intentions of staying in her bedroom next to her bed to nudge her each time she came close to the edge, but I would never be so far that I couldn't help when she needed it. Now, there are many limitations to this application. 
I hope you will bear with me. We don't always sleep through our falls, but sometimes we do. Sometimes you don't even notice when we've made our wrong turn and how that might harm us or others. There's also the fact that we need to know our need for God. We cannot just carry on doing whatever we like, making choices that we ought not to make, failing to make choices we should, and expecting God to scoop us up out of every situation because we are little and we just got too close to the edge. We are responsible. And we have been given talents to discern what is right and wrong. With Christ in us, we are able to make the right choices. We have the Holy Spirit of Almighty God living in us. So there really is nothing we can't do. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is so weak. Do you know how to make the flesh less weak? You read about it. No. You train it. You practice. You struggle. It tears. Then it heals. Then it's bigger. Then it's stronger. Then what was impossible before becomes possible. We will not become better at our prayer life by regretting our challenges or talking to other people about the challenges of our prayer life. Our prayer life will be strengthened by spending more time in prayer. You will be better at speaking with the people by speaking with people and by being around those who are good at speaking with people. Stop falling out of bed and get the rest you need to do the work God made you to do. Stop watching that show, skipping that service, listening to that music. Start praying those prayers, softening that heart, observing the Sabbath, reading God's word. Get going and get growing and experience the joy of giving the glory all to God. I'm going to finish again with Colossians 3.23. Um, it's well known, but I will read it again. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for men. I'm, I'm sure it's a fairly familiar verse to most people, but I wonder if we always consider the context here. Paul is addressing slaves who need to obey their masters. He is not speaking to people who are working in their dream jobs, finding fulfillment and enjoyment in their everyday. It is those who must do what is in front of them to do. If your everyday does not feel like what you dreamed of for yourself, it does not mean it is not where you're supposed to be right now. Go ahead and commit to doing it well anyway. If God can be honored and glorified by your effort and your example, then you are right where you're supposed to be, and it is blessed work. So in conclusion, why should we get to work? Because God gave us something to do. What talents have you been given? They are from God and to be used for God. Not what talents would you like? What talents have you been working on? What have you been given? Secondly, don't worry, obsess, complain, compare about what others have been given. That is not your business. God distributes and takes account of the talents, not you. And as a teacher, keep your eyes on your own paper. Whatever they're doing isn't for you to judge, evaluate, critique. That's their accountability to God. Thirdly, you were given them to use for the glory of God, not your glory. Don't wait for the recognition. Maybe it will come and you will have the opportunity to honor God. And maybe it won't come and you will have the opportunity to trust God and keep going. What were you made to do? The energy, the ability, the giftings are to be used. Not buried, not saved, not ignored. Train them up and use them well so that you can give them back to God. 
I'd like to close with Hebrews 12.1. The author writes, Let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. So let's get to work. Let's run our own races or write our own papers. Let's get rid of the things holding us back and use the talents we have been given to honor our Heavenly Father. I'm just going to pray in closing here. Dear Heavenly Father, God, thank you that you are with us, that you have a message for us, and that you've created us all unique, and you've given us all talents to match with our own ability. Pray that you'd give us the courage and the discipline to use those talents to honor you. Thank you for this time and for your word. Amen.